Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Generic Foiling Podcast. Uh, I'm going to kick us off this week because thanks to our weekend itinerary, I've got Freddie up at a reasonable hour in the morning. So we're going to kick straight in with some foiling news and personal updates. Uh, Freddie, I don't know. I thought, hang on, sorry, you were were doing a knock-knock joke and then you gave up. Well, I realised it wasn't that funny, but you can have it if you like. Knock-knock. I want... Who's there? Shit foiling chat. Let's go. <laughs> Shit foiling chat who? Us! Yeah. Um, it's Sunday morning. We're taking a minute to get going. We're tired because we had a session that resulted in Liam having to drive downwind and pick me up because no wind. Could be worse. Chris had to go kite foiling. The Wang Lords were in 75% representation of Exmouth Beach. Do you know what? I was going to bring this up with you. I feel like it's about time that you and I get to throw a new item into Room 101. And I was thinking about this yesterday, about the conversation that we had. I'd like to throw UK wind forecasts, or at least what actually gets delivered into Room 101. Like, I've been involved in wind sports long enough to be able to read between the lines. And I do know to interpret anything that has a variation of like 100% between the average wind speed and the gusts. For example, 30 knots gusting 28 knots. And if you look at that and you look at a pressure chart, it's probably going to be rubbish and it's probably going to be no wind. But the problem is because they say that, we all get on tenter hooks and we all drive down to the beach and Chris drives two hours for nothing. Yeah, and, and just the number of sessions I think about over the history where you turn up to the beach and you're like, oh, it's bloody raining, the rain's going to kill the wind, ah, oh, and then, like yesterday, we did have a session, but it's hard to manage your expectations when you're expecting 20-knot powered southerly and waves, and what you actually get is just enough to get going on a five-metre wing. And the trouble I find is that we all get so excited about it because we don't get cons- consistency anyway. So no. we all get psyched about a session yesterday because we haven't ridden for ages properly. And then it's still shit. And then good old social media depresses you because you get home and you see some post by somebody going, oh, Ponta Preta's quite busy because of the GWA event that's about to start happening. So I went down the road to a new spot and you just see yet another perfectly peeling wave with sufficient wind with no one on it. It has been nice to see that even the Australians get wank conditions, leading us nicely into our uh, first news article. We did some more journalism. And uh, we're going to, for for their, I don't know what, their uh, value within the foiling industry and making sure that nobody thinks that they would ever perpetuate any negativity about the sport. We're going to hide their identity thoroughly. But let's just say we have a large undisclosed Australian person. Who rides stripy equipment (laughs) and allows his children to colour on his boards. (laughs) And video him. And goes by the alias of Jezza sometimes. Not his real name, obviously. <clears throat> yeah, for, for the purpose of this, we'll call him Jezza. That's not his real name. 
uh, he gave us some. He gave us an update on the Sydney foil downwind race that happened recently, which, for all accounts, there was a lot of praise for. Organisationally, and the turnout apparently was fantastic. The overall event vibe was very good. The conditions, however, may not have delivered. Big Jezza supposedly would have preferred to swim. I think were his words. <laughs> Rather than pump <laughs> Um Yeah, it sounds like they um, they got a bit skunked and it sounds like it was a bit of a pump fest. And it does bring into question, like... I ha- Why bother? I, well, I was on site with a guy this week at work and he was a surfer. And he we ended up talking about foiling and he was asking me about foiling. And... People, because of Instagram and because of the clips that seem to go viral on Instagram, people that aren't educated about foiling just think that foiling is pumping. And he was under the impression that the pumping is a sustained activity. Like during a prone foiling session, even whilst you're on the wave, he was under the impression that you have to pump the foil. And it there's does. A lot of, there's, there's a lot of things within the foiling industry that need to be changed with the public isn't it it's like the whole kite surfing oh i don't want to get caught by the wires the public (laughs) always used to say the serrated sharpened cheese knives the the metal wires and the solid kite's gonna hit me and you're like mate you don't know anything about this foiling is falling into that trap but as we talked with chris last night about we were talking about the old finger blasting that's been going on recently and our continued thoughts on it And Chris had said to me a while ago or last week, the glee we take by saying no when the public asks us, oh, is that thing motorized when you're walking up the beach with your wing kit or your foot or your prone kit or whatever? And you say, no, no, it's not motorized. We're now going to have to backtrack on because it is going to be motorized. Well, I won't always have to be motorized. Anyway, back to what we were talking about. It's like the whole Sterling Spencer video taking the piss out of foiling, pumping, and being like, eh, 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 eh. <laughs> Apparently, that's what the Sydney race was all about. Which doesn't bode that well, does it? No, because, yeah, we had, you know, a lot of big names of the sport, and it would have been quite good if that was a an absolute banger of an event, I suppose. But hopefully, the fact that they organised it so well will mean that they do more and they'll get better conditions next time. I've I've talked this week about events and stuff in the UK and the event industry, not event industry, but our industry would be so much better if we actually got the conditions that we need because the sport looks sick when it's done right. All of the sports, every sport within our disciplines, but it's never right. You can't say that because the Kerno Foil Classic was an absolute cracker and we had the one in a million chance of it happening. And how good did that look on the entire of the British foiling industry? It looked fantastic. But I can guarantee that my summer is now going to be filled with me stood on a beach going, wouldn't it be nice if it was windy? (laughs) Talking to people about foiling. It's fucking rubbish. Just want some wind. Consistent wind. I'd like to know what percentage of the foiling population would, by choice go down to the beach on a no-wind day and practice pump foiling as like, I'm, a, I'm stoked to go and do that instead of something else, like a non-foiling-related activity. 
because I bloody love foiling. And I, I can tell you how many 1150s and 1310s we sold last year. Lots. As in, we sold we sold lots because of the light wind uh, options. So every every demo we did ended up being a pump fest. And off the back of that, we did really well with pump foiling kit because obviously we sell a brand that does well with pump foiling. Mm. So there is a lot of people that are getting into it. And as soon as, not that I'm any good at it, I hold my hand up and say, okay, I can pump foil for a few seconds and round a couple of boys, but I'm no good. But just me showing that it was possible to a few people on the beach that were tied to a shop and or shop owners, people were well interested in getting involved with it because exactly like you said, you can turn up to a beach and you can go foiling. What I think this year's demos are going to be full of is finger blasters. I think they're going to be everywhere because for me, and I was talking about this as well, if I've actually got access to one and someone says, oh, what's that? I don't know. What does what that HPS 980 pump like? Previously, I would have gone, no idea. I haven't got a clue. There's no wind. You're never going to get a go. Buy it. Whereas now, take that there finger blaster, put whatever foil you want on it, and go see how it rides. Great. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it for demoing, actually. That's quite a good point. I I am hoping I get my hands on one to be able to do something like that, Because I and I think all the other reps in the UK are going to be the same. Because if you can get to a spot where you can literally just finger blast off the beach into a line of swell, no matter how small the swell is, you can try every foil you possibly want to. How does that work? Does Tom know that he needs to make this purchase yet then? No, I've not officially told him that he needs to spend five grand on it. (laughs) We need to spend it for the sake of the demos. But just before we (laughs) move on from that, I wonder whether we need to... In fact, we what should we do talking that. about the Sydney foil conditions, the race conditions. We should message Oscar. We should have done this in preparation of the podcast, but message Oscar and Casey and find out whether or not they would go out in those conditions by choice for fun and how much pumping did they, in fact, have to do. The cool thing is they still, well, not that, We've done the research to actually look into who came top five, ten, or whatever. But Casey still won. I think Oscar came second. Yeah, well, that's why so I like mentioned the levels, those But the so the levels of of who's actually best and who's good at this shit um, still works, even though the condition conditions are rubbish. Well, I would have thought. I wonder where, I wonder where Jezza came. I wonder what his front crawl was like. <laughs> I was wondering about the fact that. Are we still at that point of the sport where time on foil is most important? A bit like the early days of the kite foil racing and Guy Bridge being at the top just because he was a talented foiling athlete. And then when it gets more and more competitive, are we going to see weight making a difference? Like there's a huge disparity between Oscar and Jezza. And I would have thought that in light conditions, less energy is available and being a lighter athlete would have been of benefit. But Casey still managed to do it. So how long before we get to that level? Casey's still midway, isn't he? Isn't he our weight? Yeah, but that's still 15 kilos more than Oscar, which is a big percentage. Who knows? What's next on the agenda? Next on the agenda is I might have broken our website, which I know is so popular with our listeners this week. What I was trying to add was a web shop. Because we have Has anyone two. actually been onto the website? Yeah, somebody signed up to a newsletter, so you need to get writing. 
yeah, that's not going to happen anytime soon. But um, I didn't, do we actually get any traffic? I don't know. Not that we've talked about it. You need to have a look at that. Genericfoilingpod.com currently uh, not functioning. But anyway, I was trying to add a web shop because we have three exciting products coming. One of which three. we require feedback. Yes, there's the generic foiling podcast logo T-shirt, which we made two of previously and have modelled in very few photos. So it was a simple black T-shirt with the yellow generic foiling pod logo on the chest. We also are getting the Wang Lords T-shirt made. So we would like you lot to... I think we're managing to get them made at a reasonable cost. So for those in Europe, it's probably going to be like 20 quid shipped. For those abroad, it might be another like $5 or something, I think, to cover shipping to like the US and New Zealand and Australia and all that stuff. So if anybody was interested in a T-shirt, message us to let us know whether you'd rather the Wang Lords or the Generic Foiling Podcast logo T-shirt because we need to know how many to get printed and we're poor, so we don't want to sit on lots of stock and then do nothing with them. And how fat are you all is the question. Because yeah. Liam suggested getting a couple of smalls made up, and I said it needs to be large XL. Thinking about the contingency of people that listen to us in Wing in the UK, it's going to be majority XL, I reckon. XL shorts. So tell us what T-shirt and what size. That would be great. Thank you. Now, the third item is Proctor's Nut Cups. <laughs> okay, this is this is for you to talk about then, because I don't know. Um, well, it's a nice little thing that features our logo, which will hold your track nuts in position in your in the foil tracks but they're sprung so that you can slot them quickly into open-ended mast connections but anyway so the website's broken so that's something to work <laughs> on <laughs> so you can't buy any of those things so we'll stick with messaging us for now uh other news i'm um the jet ski fund is at risk why? As I've said before, my Mark IV Golf VR64 motion is the embodiment of my jet ski fund. Now, I've been in communications with a man about swapping it for a Mark I Caddy pickup, oh, which shit. I think I might prefer to a jet ski. I'm not quite sure. So, Why? Um, they're cool, aren't they? It's, I used to have oh, one. It's useless. <clears throat> it's not useless. Rich asked me, does it help? foiling in any manner and i said yes because i can leave my equipment fully rigged in the back of it because it's a pickup therefore i will never have to do any setup or dismantling again which means that stuff's going to be fused together quicker than you can say bob's your uncle nah because i'm all carbon now aren't i uh, um do i approve of that I don't know if I approve well, of that. When you Depends have, if we get to get finger blasting. When you have your half of the jet ski fund secured and available, then I might be talked out of the swap. But until then... I, I do. I just don't want to spend it on a jet ski is the problem. It's my life fund. That's overrated. Next item on the list. You can tell it's very loose items. <laughs> There's some good ones coming, actually. Uh, we've had a bit of an exclusive. So we were wondering... F1 are about to drop some new wings, and we have had details of said wings and other products as well. Um, Rich, our good friend at Kite Barn, kitebarn.co.uk, sent us some videos, which we also put on social media, uh, of the new Strike, V4 Strike, that's coming. Now, it's not actually out yet, and 
we were trying to figure out, we haven't actually asked F1 or Rich or any of these people whether we should be talking about this, but that's what we do. Why is it that some brands are very strict about their media release policy with stuff and they're like, no, don't leak that, don't leak that, and then others don't seem to bother? And how is it that we seem to actually have product in the UK prior to release from a brand for a change? Well, my main issue, we we do have, that does happen. So from different brands, it works differently. They want it to work differently. There are currently products with brands that I work with that are in the UK but haven't been released. They will be released in two, two, two or three days' time. But it doesn't mean that you can put them on social media. So I am confused as to why there are a few shops that have got these products that are putting them out there already because I've actively told people not to do that on our products, whereas on some products, they are. So I don't really understand how it works. But again, it, it just works differently for different brands, depending on how they want to build their hype. With some brands, I would be actively shot for being for doing stuff like that. I think, you know, that would be it. But some brands aren't as fussed about it. And also having this stuff in the UK earlier means you can hype it up. Um, it was cool to see the chat between the HA and the MA getting some some feedback um, through the week. And basically, there is a difference. And I think as in from a evidence that the summarization was correct was seeing old pictures of, um, oh, it's, it just so happens to be that same rider that we were protecting the identity of, you know, Jeremy Wilmot? Yeah, that one. Um, it happened to be pictures of him. Was it Fiji or somewhere riding some massive oh, yeah. waves? Very critically, in you know at full speed and sure enough he was using a 650 ma or whatever and i would imagine based on our impression of the ha and based on what chris burke's been saying and stuff if you were to have put a similar size 600 and something ha on that i reckon he'd have just been blown out the water because they're so lifty at that speed yeah it does it makes me confused that i have to go back and um remind myself that the opposites are true than what I'd gotten accustomed to. Before we move on from the uh, release of the strike, there was a couple of things that I wanted to say about this because Rich made a couple of interesting points about this. Nobody doubted the performance of the performance of the strike, the third version. But after that being like a bit of a you know industry leading wing for the first version, and I think still somewhat for the second version. The third version, I remember there was a lot of people complaining about how it wasn't very good like to get going up onto foil to get started to the point and I didn't notice a great deal because by the time I swapped out my previous five meter, it was so absolutely shagged that anything was going to feel better, so I didn't notice really, but it was so much to the point where they released a video demonstrating like how to do the pumping technique for a v three strike because they were suggesting that people were doing it wrong and it had to be a different cadence and all the rest of it. So anyway, my point is, amongst some loyal strike customers, it the third version got itself as a bit of a reputation for not being amazing to get up onto foil in the first place, which especially in like a UK market, like we said, or European market where the winds are a bit fluky, that's quite an important feature of the product. Now, much promise has gone into the fact that that is totally different for the fourth one. And the comment that Rich made to me that I found quite interesting was that he said aesthetically 
because they're going for a very similar branding and because it the color scheme looks the same and they tend to have quite unique color schemes to those brands the product aesthetically is quite similar i thought that the other day um the last photo the last video kiahi put up i'd seen it glossed over it enjoyed it but thought nothing of it and somebody said oh that's the v4 strike yeah but to me it it, it, it looks, looks the same and I, yet, I just assumed it was the same and yet rich did say there's quite a lot of drastically different design detail to it like the profile is visibly different shape the canopies you know is so i just thought that was an interesting comment that you know i've heard it from multiple angles both from f1 sort of employees directly and from external people that actually know what they're talking about that this is a very different product to what was there before for better or worse, I'll tell you soon, hopefully, but that you're going to have the the challenge of the fact that aesthetically it looks the same and can you bash off a negative association from before? Yeah, well, you've got to be careful what you bash off, haven't you? Yeah, you've got to be careful what you bash off, indeed. Um, Talking of directions. It has been intriguing. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. We'll get on to that in a second because I, all I wanted to say was I noticed it last night, actually, I was looking around whilst, because we were on the water. There was a lot of us on the water last night. I was really impressed by how many people were out there. And uh, the level in Exmouth has greatly risen. There were a few people out there that I didn't recognize, but the level was high. But if you were to go back 12 months, half a dozen of those or half of those people that were out there would have been on F1. Whereas the tide seems to have shifted a little bit because there was only, I think there was only you or was there somebody else on a strike? Well, Chris, but he never got going because he took a 30-litre board. Oh, yeah, okay. um, um, so, yeah, it, it just rem- I find it remarkable. I'm quite intrigued to see how the V4 goes down because it, it has fluctuated. They, they led the market for the V1 and V2. They did really well. And then it's definitely everyone else seems to have caught up um, for their V3, so it's shared out a little bit more. It's not quite – I mean, it was a proper monopoly at one point. Everyone was on strikes, and now it would be interesting to see what the V4 does. Mm. it's interesting yeah because likewise you, you saw nobody was on the armstrongs for a long time then the xps comes out and boom every, loads of people are on the xps's in fact worth noting not to the goodness to the industry in the uk but of six of us winging in dama last weekend four were gong wings it is what it is it is what it is and they were doing just as well as i was but yeah four of them were gong wings so i guess it, it depends where you are as well well, are, are, are we likely to see a big shift as well? Because now, you know, they they were what did they use in their marketing? Semi rigid. They were the uh, yeah. So are you erect or flaccid? Well, are now you a fan of erect or flaccid. Whether you like it erect, flaccid, or turgid, there will be all options available, which I think is very interesting because. I want to see what the, um, not necessarily the F1 riders use. I'm very curious to see what the F1 sort of family use, i.e., you know, the sales and the designers and those in France. We haven't said what we're on about, but the new F1 wings are coming with adjustable... What, uh, Modular um, handles. You can you can have what you want. <laughs> and there is a video on it on YouTube, so I know we can talk about this because otherwise that would have been pulled days ago. Um, but yeah, they're all coming with modular handles, so you can either go massively erect, or you can go semi-turgid, or you bet you basically choose what you want. But you're right; it'd be interesting to see what everyone chooses because F1 have been the, 
the single brand that haven't introduced a rigid handle up until now. And I'm quite glad to see that they've made a system that looks good as well on the modular handles, because I think it's a great idea. But if you can't get it to look good, you know, if it's just sort of bolt-on and a bit rubbish, it's not quite as appealing. Well, this is is something I'm genuinely interested about, because my perception is that they're not that bothered about hard handles and that they tend to prefer the softer ones. And if that's the case, you would think that, if they're going to make the compromise whereby because I I I my mind when they were coming with this V4 series, I was picturing them delivering it as here's your soft handle option, here's your hard handle option. Like you'd make that choice from factory so that they wouldn't compromise the soft handle one, having to make it heavier and reinforce it for this system. But the fact that they've come out with a modular one says to me that. They must have done something, or at least they must have put a lot of effort into it to make sure that there won't be a compromise, given that they are largely believers in the soft handle approach. Does that make sense? Like they're not going to want to compromise Um, something that they believe in to satisfy public demand that might not necessarily be exactly what they want to do. I did phase out a little bit as you were talking there, but I see what you mean. The one big thing that we've always enjoyed about f1 is if they don't like it they don't make it if they like it they make it and so yeah it'll be very it'll be very interesting to see what they use in france i'm very curious whether we see them continue using soft handles for a few months and then slowly phasing in the hard handles uh will would be interesting that would say a lot maybe they'll um acknowledge eventually that the hard handles are pretty good or whether they'll they'll stay where they are because as far as i know chatting to a few other brands they're not that interested in bringing out soft handle options anymore yeah well that's interesting because having made the transition to most of the time riding my small board i won't be using hard handles anytime soon because i think i'd have put five holes in the nose of my board already there's so many more like sort of violent um mistakes when it does go wrong you know when you're trying to get going on something that's half your not nearly half your body weight if it's underpowered and you don't get going there are a lot of very heavy landings on the board with your wing isn't there yeah Um, i had a couple last night it's not much fun but that leads us on nicely to um you had to go on a 60 liter last night so last night was marginal wins we both took bigger boards both Guy and Chris didn't have bigger boards, and both Guy and Chris drifted in the tide until they got into the water, into the beach and walked yeah, back. Probably the best riders there, but doesn't help if you can't get going in the first place. Mm. Guy thought there would be wind, but I don't know what world he was living in to think that there might have been wind. <laughs> I mean, if Guy had have had the same size wing as Chris on a five and a half, he'd have been fine. His mistake was he's over ninety kilos and he took a four and a half. And then Chris took but he a did get going. Half, but he had a 30, what's his, 38 litre or something? 34 litre Armstrong? It's just not enough. Or like but yeah, I use that um, 60 litre apple tree, apple slice, is it? V2? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It, I was surprised at how stable it was on my feet, even though I was underpowered. I was very surprised at how well... It's, I could stand on it 
even when it was half a foot below the water because I didn't have enough power yet to actually get moving enough. Because I, I tend to find with those low volume boards, I don't waste my time trying to get going if there's not enough wind. I'll literally just normally on my board, I'll straddle it until I feel a gust and then be like, right, both get to my feet, put all my effort into getting going straight away. What surprised me with this apple slice, even though it was literally still underwater, is I could basically stand on it with it half a foot underwater and that could be my resting position and I'd wait for the gust there and then when I felt the gust, then I'd get it to the surface and then pump to get up onto foil. And I was just very surprised that, yeah, that I could do that. I don't know. I'm yeah, It's interesting because I can imagine that the volume distribution that would be required to make something easy to balance on when the thing's not even on the surface must massively affect your plan layout and your rail layout and i wonder with that design whether it just so happens that the plan shape that they intended it to be resulted in something that was quite easy to stand on because of the volume distribution or the other way around like i wonder what was the priority because i've never used a 60-ish liter board before that was quite as easy to stand on with the exception actually of the current north seek their, their yeah, you, 50, li- you, you liked their fifty eight was outrageously stable, and the apple slice feels quite similar to that actually. And they are both quite big area boards, aren't they, for their size? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They are. They are. They've got quite a lot of uh, forward forward volume as well. Like it's a lot further towards the nose in the back in the, in the tail. Uh, it was interesting taking a bigger board again. Seventy five. Just literally, I was on I was on a four and a half, whereas everyone else was on bigger wings um but it just took a few pumps and a bit of apparent wind to get going on one of those it was quite impressive actually after spending the last few months on a 55 there's no way i would have gotten going on a, on a 55 so it's quite intriguing so i can only imagine again after you guys have been talking about these downwind boards yeah those things must just get going and nothing because <clears throat> i was on an ozone rise 75 which is it feels a lot bigger but it's not exactly a streamlined shape it's very much more a shovel than a than a um I don't know, downwind shape. You say um, it, it is It is a more traditional, what we know to be a more traditional wingboard shape, like it doesn't have a pointy tail or anything. However, it's got quite aggressive design to the tail for good water release. Like, I don't think I've seen a board on the market yet with such a prominent feature where the bottom of the board tail is what, like two inches further back than the top surface of the board tail. Like the rear of the board is on a full-on chamfer, isn't it? Like the base not of the massive, board. Not he, not he, it is. I more agree. than I've it seen is. on any other board. And so it's got a very sharp, basically, base tail edge, which is inevitably... that's. It looks a lot like a like a race yacht, the tail well, of it. If we, get to, if we get a chance to talk to Ken, I believe he had a little bit of an input with it. Um, so it'll be intriguing to get to chat to him about. Fingers crossed. If he replies to our message, if he's interested, please, please, Ken. Um, yeah, no, size size does matter. Sorry, gents, but it's true. But what does that mean? Does that mean you just get... Because, like, Rich has gone to one board now, hasn't he? He's, he's consolidated a small board and a big board into one board, and he seems pretty happy. Is, is, it, is consolidation a good idea? Is it, is it part of a, a what-you-can-afford thing? It's whether you want the faff in that. Like mm. that 60 was the perfect tool for me in those conditions. 
it was that was the one to have. It was the maximum amount of performance, which was still allowing me to actually be able to get going. Like I wouldn't have wanted to crash often because, you know, I only crashed once in the whole session and it and it did take me five minutes to get going again. And it was quite a lot of effort when I did. But it was quite favorable conditions. Um, you know, it was relatively flat water to start in the first place. So on that day, that was maximum performance for those conditions. However, the week before, riding with Guy with an additional eight knots, my 48, even though it's only 12 litres difference, because it's such a radically different rail outline, my 48 is so much more pulled in at the tail and it only has width for a short section under your front foot. It, it's so much nicer on the wave. Like you can, I, I only because I've ridden that so much now do I start to notice on the bigger boards. I'm like, fuck, you do notice that there's a rail there and you do clip the rail when you initiate your first turn and whatnot. I felt that last night after hearing you say, well, but we spent a lot of time deciding on kit, didn't we? All, all of us trying to figure out what the hell to take. And you brought how many boards down to the beach? Four boards down to yeah. the beach to try and share out between us so we could try and get a session. But yeah, you said um, you crash less with a smaller board. It takes longer to get going, but you do crash less on a smaller board. And I did notice that on, on a bigger board. You can't do the aggressive style of riding that we might want to, not that I would land it ever, but you know, I have visions of how I'd like my riding to be. And it it is done on a smaller board, annoyingly, or at least a thinner board. You know, the 55 is not a tiny board that I'm riding, but at least it's to a point where if I bank over, I'm not catching the rail all the time, which is jumping back on that 75 and agreed it was the first time I'd ridden a big board in a long time, but you definitely feel the size of it uh, in the turns, whether it's you waiting over in the first place, having to jump onto one rail as opposed to just staying in the middle, or if it's down to catching the rail, bogging it down in the water. It's both of those things. It's it's both of those things for sure. You hit the water more on a big board and like that, you know, the, the construction of those apple tree boards is solid. We know that. And it felt I was getting loads of feedback through the foil. But because of foot position and because of width it, and because of the extra volume, it definitely took more effort to initiate the roll. There's no doubt about it. And then when you do initiate a roll or a carve, you can't... T- t- Go back carve. the other it's way is easy. You- Agreed, but you can't. It's not. It's never as tight, is it? Because you can't bank over quite as far. So it's a much more drawn out um, turn in the first place. And the, here's an interesting thing, right? So I haven't really given much of a, an analysis of because I've been riding for I don't know what maybe six weeks now. That um, the F1 high modulus mast, the fourteen mil mast. But at the same time, I also ordered a one length longer fuse. So instead of being on the double extra short fuselage that is recommended with the skate, I actually ordered an extra short fuselage. So one length longer. I think they're maybe like two or two centimeters or three centimeters longer. And that has been great. I generally speaking, I'm like, you know, it's so bloody maneuverable anyway. I wanted to make the sacrifice of a tiny bit of maneuverability for a tiny bit more pitched ability. And that now on my small 48 liter, like that is the setup. I use the, I'd like a smaller one, but for when it's bigger, but as long as it, because at the minute I swap between, as I've discussed previously, a Phantom S840 and this 950 skate. 
And when I'm using that skate, because it's head high or less wave size, the extra small fuselage with the 200 carving tail, that's great. That's a really good setup. When I was on that 60 litre yesterday, I was thinking to myself, if I use this same foil on this board, I'd probably go back to that double extra small fuse to try and get a little bit more maneuverability out of it. Because again, the extra volume of the board is more inertia. It acts like a bit of a damper. And the bigger board inherently gives you a little bit more pitch stability because there's more mass to move. And so in that instance, I'd have probably gone back to the double extra small fuse. And that's the first time I've thought that since making that adjustment, which was interesting. How does... Uh, those conditions last night then where there's just waves everywhere and I'm thinking more from a getting going standpoint how does a downwind board face in those conditions where the the water is fairly messy so wavy but messy that is exactly the conditions that I had for my session midweek this week I took out the um what's it called the AK Nomad Nomad yep um and I think that there's there's two answers to that question not all pointy boards are the same, annoyingly. You know, we're, we've just got even more gear to dissect here. And like we were saying, the, the HA and the MA definitions changing. I'm sure that this is going to evolve loads over the next five years. Some downwind shapes are more directionally stable than others, for sure. So some of them track through the water in a straight line more than others. And of, but in general, the pointy, whether it's a light wind winging board or a downwind board, all of those, the biggest difference between them and the normal traditional wing board that we think of is how much directional stability they have in a straight line. That takes a lot of getting used to. And if your wave angle isn't right with your wing angle, it can be a massive pain in the ass if you've not got good power because those. Those downwind shapes, those pointy shapes, they do pick up board speed easily. But in the light winds, it requires you to pick up that board speed over a little bit of distance and time because you don't have much power in the wing. And if you've got a wave that's coming cross to the direction, you know, perpendicular to the direction that you're traveling, God, it it, it, it throws you off direction. And it, I think the answer is it's a different technique. As long as you're pointing through the waves, it's fine. I was thinking about it last night because, yeah, you'd need extra time to get the speed. But every time a wave hits you that and hits you in the wrong direction, it's slowing you down. I was thinking it must be – and it's just quite cumbersome in short fetch swell like that where it's literally – the thing must just be rolling around all over the place. Yes and no. I think that the reality of you ending up in situations like that is rare because I would say that most of the time you only end up in that horrible short periody swell when there is a lot of wind because otherwise it's either a ground swell or it's relatively flat. And the only reason I had it the other evening, for example, is because there had been wind from the south all day and then it dropped off. So the swell was the remaining wind swell from the day. But it definitely affects it. But I think still think that with the right technique the other night I would not have got going on anything else and so yeah I might have had to have had a bit of patience and I might sometimes I might have normally got going if it was flat and a wave might have interrupted my start but here's what I noticed right in Exmouth as you know 
our where our waves are or at least where we want to ride is based on where there's a sandbar and so at low tide even a few hundred meters away from the shore there's like low depth areas where any windswell or groundswell hits that pitches up and like it does normally hit in the beach and so we have an area where we ride the waves what i noticed with this ak board there was one instance when the wind really dropped and i was struggling to get going but even though I didn't have enough power to get going, when you're stood there waiting with the wing in your hand, you're traveling through the water at like four knots. Whereas on a wingboard, you'd be completely stationary. So that happened to me once. And what I noticed was I was like, I can't get going here, but I'm just going to stand here with the wing in my hand. And within two minutes, I was no longer in the wavy spot because I'd gone over the sandbar and I was out to sea then and I didn't have the problem anymore. Interesting. So you- because it does, as acting as a displacement hull, even if you've not got enough power to get up foiling, you still move through the water with quite a lot of speed. And if you really got stuck, yeah, you'd just either use the wing or just paddle away from the annoying area, go to a flat a bit, and off you go. Intriguing. But yes, your, your question is totally valid. It, it is a pain because it's got so much more length and direction of stability. But one of the weird things that's an advantage is because it's got so much length, you know how sometimes if you're really underpowered, <clears throat> you might power yourself up the face of the wave with the wing and then you can almost ride off the back of the wave to get going. Like some- it always feels like there's a, a there's a maybe it's not a gust, but there's extra wind as the wave's hitting you. Which I find weird because it's not blowing you in the right direction to to feel that i'm always sat there thinking is this in my head or is this actually what's going on but every time a wave hits you you get a brief well it's i think it's because you're then falling down the back of the wave aren't you the the wave the buoyancy of the board floats you up to the surface with the wave as the wave passes you and then as it goes by you're then effectively falling down the other side of it giving you a bit of speed and a bit of lift from the foil but I don't feel that's what's happening because every time once the once the wave's gone past you, the the wind disappears. You know, last night is a classic example, and it's more of an example when the wind is is marginal because you are needing the the the, the pump from the from the wing to get yourself going. Like yesterday, I was blowing my out of my ass trying to get the fore and aft to get going, and you'd. You'd get that little bunch of wind in the sail as you were pumping as the wave hit you. And then as soon as you dropped off the back of the wave and you're still continuing to pump, because I still haven't gained enough speed, like it was taking me a lot to get going, the wind would die. The, the, the sail wouldn't have the power in it as it did previously. Mm, interesting. I was finding it quite strange. And I don't know if there's a scientific reason or if it's just a Freddy you shit at wing and you can't get going. Yeah, it's probably more likely the second one, isn't it? More, more than likely. And what's yeah. frustrating, it's two different disciplines. Like the skill needed to get going in conditions like that we had yesterday is is completely different. If it's blowing its ass off, it just doesn't matter. Which is frustratingly probably why these pro riders are getting so good because they're riding in the right con- like in reasonably windy conditions all the time. If you just know that you can sheet in and go, it, like it saves so much time and effort and and effort's the big one, isn't it? Because I I had to stop trying to get going a couple of times because I was too exhausted. So I was just exhausting myself pumping to try and get going. I was having to stop, take a breath, 
wait for a few minutes, and then try again. So no wonder I suck, because we don't get the wind. Mm. Well, maybe Bloody you should, surf line. Maybe you should ride a downwind board all the time. Uh, yeah. I don't know if I want to. It's difficult, isn't it? It's just it's conditions and and so back dependent. back back to your uh, to 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 ramble and go in circles. Back to your question about do you have one board or do you have multiple? <clears throat> I think that we've answered that already to some extent. I, well, at least I think that we can answer if you are having one board. We know what that is, and that is it depends kind of on your skill level but it's somewhere between once you're an intermediate foiler it's somewhere between your body weight and let's say 20 liters below that's that's your band for your one board quiver i'd say that will be relatively good at getting going you know you're not going to sacrifice too much wind range on that you like that's going to be similar to that apple slice for me whereby in a stationary position even before I've got enough power to even get going, I've got enough power in the sail where I can stand on the board as long as it's not too wavy and you've still got performance. I think that's your one board quiver option. But if you want to always have the right thing for the right conditions, you're going to have a smaller one. You're probably going to have that that board, that either body weight and you know what, you're probably not going to go up to like 20 litres below if you've also got your small board available. So you're going to have a board roughly around your body weight. And then if you really want to maximise all conditions, you're going to have a downwind board as well. By which how many point, wings are we owning? Well, how many wings is, are we having? This is the point, isn't it? By which point you've got three boards and you have to question yourself, well, that's a good, you know, four grand there. Do I just only buy one of them and go and buy a finger blaster? Oof. That's going to get people thinking. Yeah. Food for thought. Food mm. for thought. Um, recent episodes. Um, people have been well, quite... episodes. En- yeah, people have been quite enjoying that. There's been a lot of chat off the back of the last one. I'm glad right. that we've... Because we- <laughs> they're interesting people, Freddie. <laughs> we got a lot of feedback about Olivia. A lot of people enjoyed that, which is good. I suppose, I mean, would people tell us if they didn't like it? Yeah. If you, d- if you didn't like it, tell us. And then fuck off. <laughs> what was really nice is uh, there was a lot of conversation started out of that Olivia episode. And there was also mm-hmm. a lot of people just messaging or talking to us to just say, she seems really nice. Like some people mm-hmm. were messaging that know her and were like, she's great. And others were just like, she seems really great. So it's nice that she is great and seems great. I thought she was great. <laughs> <laughs> great. I'm glad you did. Uh, who else have we talked to? Well, I was going to come on to what Stevie was saying. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, off the back of the episode with Ellie. So Stevie Morrison is Exmouth local and is Ellie's coach, as we mes- mentioned in the episode. So go and listen to that if you haven't. And I was laughing with him about that episode because he quite enjoyed that. And he was saying, oh, well, I was glad to hear that you didn't get too many trade secrets out of her. And I was like, you should have known better, Stevie. We don't actually talk about foiling that much on the Generic Foiling Podcast. And um, and then he made a little dig and he was like, well, as you know, it's probably for the best. Like, she's more of an athlete that enjoys the riding than, than knows, you know, every bit of detail of the gear in depth anyway. Which I don't think is unfair to say because she pretty much told us the same thing on the podcast. But then... Um, 
I started asking Stevie sort of what he meant by that and what the interesting stuff would be. And he was explaining that we are at the point of the campaign where it's getting really serious with the gear and they are doing exactly what we talked about in that episode with the old RSX windsurfing equipment where they buy multiple boards, multiple rigs and compare them. And he said that they are now doing that with her and they are buying multiple foils and that, you know, the, the tolerances and the precision between different gear that is supposed to be the same, it just isn't identical. And so they're now going through that process and they're buying multiple pieces of the same equipment, running it back to back, testing the surface finishes in different conditions and all the rest of it, and basically chasing that 2%. And it sounds really interesting. And you could see, I think, from from a coach perspective, and I want to get him on in the future, because as an ex-Olympian himself, but as somebody that sailed you know, boats and now turns to coach, it, it something lit up in his eyes. And I think you could tell that that fire to chase performance is very much still there. And I think in these sorts of people that push the limits of all of these, whatever sport, it never really goes, does it? And, um, and yeah, so I'm quite curious. And I was, I was really interested to hear that, that, you know, even though these things are pressed in molds at God knows what pressure and all the rest of it, that each one is not identical. There we go. I haven't got anything further to say. And that that what what's even more interesting about that is this is you know IKA registered or Olympic registered gear, so this is like the best of the best in our sport. So it'd be really interesting to know how much variance there is in the stuff that rolls off the production line that's at the bottom end of the composite deliveries. You know the lower price point carbon masts in this industry. It'd be really interesting to know how much variance there is in those if you were to manage to pick the very best one out of a thousand off the production line and the very worst one out of a thousand, be interesting to know how much difference there is. I do find it funny though, when people maybe damage their kit and then complain that it's slowed their riding down or it's, you know, it's changed the characteristics of the equipment because they've taken a chunk out of the side of the wing as someone that damages a lot of wings, I have never noticed a difference in my riding down to the chips and scratches and chunks that I've taken out of the front wings. Um, Do you think that's because it happens progressively, though? Have you ever actually taken a battered old one against (laughs) a brand new one? I don't think I'd notice. I don't think I'm at a point that I would need to notice or I could notice. I, I think there are certain things, you know, it's the same with the high modulus carbon mass as a beginner. No point buying one of those. Pointless. You're not going to notice a difference. It's not going to make a difference until you get further down the line. I assume I that I'm you're aiming this at your typical weekend beach goer, though. Because, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, all right. You're not, you're yeah, not accusing Ellie of, uh, of not knowing the difference <laughs> no. between a bashed up old. <laughs> no, I, I, and agreed. But we're also, I'm not sat flying around it mac 10 or like top end of my foil the entire time whereas they are and would notice those differences whereas for the normal normal folk who are riding as you were mentioning the lower end of the the product or the the market i.e the cheaper stuff and by that i mean everything that's on the market to the everyday consumer we're not going to notice a difference we're not going to need to notice a difference depends how big the difference is if it's one percent i agree if it's 15%, I disagree. 
Uh, okay. Yeah. No, I get that. that that's what sense. I'm. That's what I'm saying. I wonder what the variance is in terms of production quality. If you take the very best and the very worst, I I don't care. I think I have noticed because that's a good point with me on this new mast. I've obviously gone from an absolutely battered old aluminium mast to the fancy thin profile expensive one. I've definitely noticed an improvement of control, which you can attribute to mostly, I I don't even know whether it's carbon versus aluminium. What I think that that's come from is the fact that there's no connection points. I reckon if you had a solid aluminium mast that was CNC machined from one block and it incorporated the mast head and the, the mast foot, like the carbon one does, I reckon that's where a lot of the performance comes from, personally. So anyway, I've definitely noticed a massive improvement in control. Sessions like yesterday, I think I can notice the glide too. Because I do notice in, I'm like, I I drop into some pretty rubbish little waves. And I'm like, there's not a lot of energy here. But that, that skate with that mast does go quite easy with speed. And I think I've got more glide, which is what they made it for. I, I wouldn't bet, that last, I wouldn't bet my, my van on it, but I would bet 20 quid on it. I'm just quantifying I, I don't, confidence I don't, for people here. Yeah, I don't doubt that, it'd be, that it, it, it's going to generate more glide. As a side note, I've been thinking more about when I was riding the Arts, the 899 and the 999. Now I'm on Spitfires now, which I love on the waves, but I really miss the glides and I really struggle watching you, for instance, to so say... You're on a little bit less surface area, actually, but that skate's definitely got more glide than the Spitfire. And I get really, I can't stay on the waves quite as long as you as you do. Um, and I end up having to drop off and try and jump to the one behind or anything like that. But I was watching your riding yesterday and I was thinking, because like yesterday, especially with the conditions we had, like the 999, which is like mega glide. Oh God, it would have just been fantastic. I would no way I would have been able to bank over turns anywhere near as much, but I do miss a glidey wing. I'm just wondering at the minute, personally, I'm wondering about trying to get another one of those back on the uh, on the card so I can enjoy that glide because I do remember going out, especially when I was going back to back between the eight nine nine and nine nine nine. Remember going back to the nine 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 and just thinking this is such a good wing because it's so spanny and so glidey and yet fast at the same time. I really really enjoyed it, but I've just concentrated more on the turning element of the Spitfires, which is, again, if we're riding waves, it's great. But if you get very chilled waves, I just miss the glide a little bit. Maybe next year, Axis will release a $10,000 mast and it will be just as stiff, but it will be eight millimetres thin. Ooh. <laughs> For all I tell you glides. what, if they, if they made an eight millimetre mast, I think <laughs> everyone would want one of those. That's from any brand. If any, if any brand could bring an eight millimeter mast out, or like just a cheese wire, just holding the foil down at the bottom, Ooh, you wouldn't nice. need sushi knives, would you? That'd be <laughs> multi-purpose item. Those bass and mullet wouldn't stand a chance <laughs> as you were riding through. <laughs> All uh, right. But yeah, no, I did. I did as 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 a. I, I was just thinking, oh, I wouldn't mind mixing up my wings a little bit because I, I love the Spitfires. I think they're great, but they. It's nice to have glide. Occasionally, it's just really nice to have glide. But I guess maybe that'll come from if I'm getting a bigger wing for the downwind side of things. You guys can just take the mick out of me again for having larger than meter wings like you always used to do. Mm. 
<laughs> All right, should we go for a run? Yeah, shall we? Thanks, everyone. I'll go send us some money on the thing. <laughs> <laughs> we we really want to go to America, and I think we need more money than than we've got currently. Uh, well, it so. was really, it was really yeah, it was really good to see it all f- coming in, but it's definitely slowed down, which is absolutely fine. We are in a cost of living crisis, but we can't afford to go to the AWSI because we're in a cost of living crisis. So, if you're not, massive thank <laughs> you to everybody that has contributed thus far, and a special thank you to those that have signed up to the membership things as well. But yeah, if anyone wants to, what is it? Buymeacoffee.com forward slash gf podcast. Something like that. And likewise, T-shirts, all the proceeds will be going towards the AWSI, especially as we get closer to it in the year. Because now at the minute, it's in what, like September? So we're not, we're thinking about it, but not too seriously. Whereas as it gets closer, we are, that is the plan. The plan is to go to AWSI to A, have fun. Harass people, basically. B was harass people. And even if we don't like, get to do shit tons of interviews at AWSI because everyone will be busy as bees. We're hoping to get more connections and you can shake a stick at. So the plan is to go there for the good of the podcast. God, aren't I good at whoring ourselves out? I was thinking about this as well. I was thinking that instead of stickers, which cost a lot of money, we should make some stencils and um, spray paint and just go around tagging things, a bit like Banksy. We'll be the foiling Banksy. I feel like that might be illegal. That might end up end up in jail. How funny would it be, though, if you went to the Duotone stand and sprayed <laughs> up one of their prototype wings for the next year? I would enjoy that a lot, actually. Anyway. Bye, everyone. Hope everyone's good. Goodbye. <laughs>